0: All right, listeners. Hello. So This is Jared here. Um, I hope everybody's doing well. Today is an important day in the history of this podcast because while we've had two so far with game designers, this is the first time that we're bringing an educator on. So um, we have Dr. Roush here. Um, I like to call him Frank, but I wanted to make sure that I got the doctor bit in because, you know, he deserves it. So, um, Dr. Roush, welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. Uh, So again, uh, we were kind of chatting in advance of this podcast. Uh, Frank and I basically know each other. And we've had like some, you know, email correspondences and things like that over the years. So this is, um, but this is really the first time that we're sort of formally sort of doing one of these. So um, are we going with Frank or are we going with doctor? That's the important question to start. (laughs) All right. So Frank, um, this is your rodeo in a lot of ways. It's a phrase I lo- love to use on this podcast. So I mean, do you want to just sort of start by giving our listeners a sense of who you are and where you're from?
1: Uh, sure. I'm originally from Indiana, but I now teach at Lander University in Greenwood, South Carolina. Um, I'm part of the history and philosophy department, and we're a small public regional. So that means I teach a lot of different things, like I teach uh, world history, um, I teach classes in Asian history. I teach some religious history, some public history. Um, and as part of the public history, I, I am teaching now a game on, or I'm sorry, a class on games in the class uh, um, in the classroom. And um, I do some uh, volunteer work at the local American Revolutionary Battle site at 96, uh, where I help fire a cannon, which is uh, the, <laughs> one of the high points of my uh, years going out and doing that. And I, I got to give um, a speech at the, um, candlelight tour, a loyalist speech, and it was so uh, fervently loyal to King George III, I was booed. That was one of my favorite uh, moments. I was very proud of that. Um, Let's see. And my research, I'm actually a Koreanist. So um, I specialize in uh, Korean religious history, especially Korean Catholicism. So I'm a little all over the place.
0: No, that's very exciting. But I mean, we have to, I feel like we have to start with the cannon though, <laughs> right? I mean, right what, yeah. is it, what is it What is it like to fire a cannon as like a reenactor?
1: Sure. So um, I, I have to say it's technically, it's, it's a swivel gun. So okay. I like to describe it as a three-person shotgun. Okay. And it's designed so that it was used in a lot of backwoods warfare because you can literally pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one we have is designed to fire a half pound ball. We don't actually fire that. So it's, it's, um, and it's designed so that you could pick it up and it has like a um, post and you could drop it into a um, tree stump that has a hole in it that's awesome that's I think how it's it, designed and it's yeah. a lot of fun and, and basically we we there it, it's a three-person crew uh we fire it to get people's attention and uh the the guidelines are you have to wait 10 minutes before you fire it again so the ranger gives a little talk and mm-hmm. then we fire it um a third time and um mm-hmm. and I, I, in addition to firing the cannon i'm the town jailer oh gotcha <laughs> it's but i I'm incompetent, to comment and <laughs> well, it, just as a quick side, it's fun because uh, I mean we have a record of a, a loyalist who was imprisoned in the jail. He escaped three times, and after that, they just said he can be on parole. So no, I, that's I mean, awesome.
0: The jailer, quite the combination of uh, <laughs> quite the combination of things there. It reminds me a little bit of like I know ships of the line in like the fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred. 1600s. yeah, they would usually mount those things I think to like for boarding actions. I believe yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, uh, swivel guns were often used on, on ships, especially smaller ships. I think pirate ships really like to use them too.
0: Yeah, there's a game. Um, do you play miniatures or or do you strictly do like, you know, simulations in the classroom?
1: Well, I, I did my first miniature game this week. Um, I'll put in the plug. I bought the Little Wars, uh, what is it, Tombstone Starter
0: Set? Oh, that's great. They're awesome buy- people, by the way. Yeah,
1: oh, yeah. Though they, they were a great help. I had some questions when I was setting it up and they, they quickly answered when I, I contacted them but um i'm not i'd only played one miniature war game once that a friend had it was a uh, french indian war um skirmish level and um for my gaming class i designed i said I, I have to have people do some kind of miniatures but i have no experience so i was like well I'll just buy the tombstone set and so we played it for the first time this week and the students had a blast
0: ah, that's awesome that's really cool to hear and again like to kind of circle back to the whole swivel gun thing there's a great game. There's a great game about piracy called Limeys and Slimies, which... Um, <laughs> that sounds awesome. I, yeah, I remember playing it back in the day. And it, I don't know, just a lot of what you're talking about sort of reminds me of that game where you're like literally in command of like a 12-inch long ship, and you put the miniatures actually into the ship and kind of sail around a tabletop. <laughs> it's it's really a lot of fun. We've got a couple of guys in Next Gen that like that game and have have run events with it and stuff. So... Pretty, that sounds so cool. Pretty fun stuff. Yeah, indeed. So again, like, before we get into the whole gaming thing, Um, so you're, so tell me a little bit about, like, being a Koreanist and, like, that, how did you kind of get into that, you know, realm of history, I guess you could call it.
1: Um, the, the quickest answer I can give is just, um, I always liked history, and I knew I wanted to study history, but you got to pick an area, right, to specialize in. Right. And um, when I was at Indiana University, I made a lot of friends from uh, China, Japan, and Korea. Mm -hmm. And um, I became very interested in uh, their history from just being friends and took classes on those areas. And then I found um, at that time, if you went into a library, there were lots of books on Chinese history, lots of books on Japanese history, very few on Korean history. And half of those were on the Korean War, which is more American history uh, in its treatment. So I was like, okay, this is all interesting. This is where I think that there's a need. So I think I'll, I'll shift into that. And I became interested in the history of, of religious history there because of the religious persecutions, the anti-Catholic persecutions. It's just this kind of basic question. Why would someone die for something they believe in? Mm-hmm. And that was a question that, that, that fascinated me. And it, it, religious history, military history, that you have that same kind
0: of basic question, right? Right. Um, so that's kind of the quick answer. Right. And is there a particular era that you look at or when yeah. you were doing your graduate work? Yeah. So the era of persecutions
1: is from the late 18th to the 19th century. And then I was interested in this kind of general question of violence and its connection to religion. And um, I studied a Korean national hero who's a national hero because he killed a Japanese national hero. Uh, his name was Anshungun. He killed Ito Um He was a Catholic nationalist. Mm-hmm. And so I, my dissertation, I mean, it didn't work the way I wanted it to. But my my idea was, well, I'll look at how Catholics... Had violence justified against them, and then also how they utilized violence. Yeah, it didn't go together the way I wanted, the way I w- was hoping it would, as as symmetrically as I would have liked. But that that was kind of my approach. So I began yeah. with Catholics being persecuted, but then this Catholic nationalist using violence to defend the nation.
0: Yeah. So I, I wish my old brain were working a little <laughs> bit better today, just because that reminds me of um, Scorsese. Scorsese put a movie out about a a, a very similar topic. I just don't remember if it was Korea or Silence? not. Silence. Yes, that, yeah, was was, that was Japan. Film. Right, it was Japan, but a yeah, lot yeah. of overlap in terms of your work. Right, yeah, exactly. No, there is, um,
1: yeah, the, the, it's a similar kind of thing. Um, the Koreans were a little bit later, though, interestingly enough, some of the, uh, I don't think that they were depicted, but what happened, Japan invaded Korea in the 1590s, and some of the Koreans, they kidnapped, a lot of them actually did become Catholic. Gosh, gotcha. And then were, and then the poor people, then they get killed in the persecutions there. So it's like, the very difficult lies, right? You get kidnapped from Korea and then you get killed uh, in another country for yeah. belonging to the wrong religion.
0: <laughs> yeah, not not fun if you're that person. <laughs>
1: right. And this is one reason why I got I want to also try and bring gaming into my classes because a lot of what I deal with is very depressing.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. So I, I I, I, thought,
1: I can identify that. I, I also teach a comic history of comics and animation
0: class, and that's to counter <laughs> all this depressing stuff I do. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, look, I think that's a perfect segue, right, uh, to kind of get into you know, the the melding of of games and game-based learning and education. So I guess, you know, the word comic book has me sort of triggered here a little bit, like just in terms <laughs> of um, what's your origin story? Like, what's the <laughs> moment where you kind of said to yourself, I really need to do something a little bit different in my classroom. And then you thought of a game.
1: So just, I should note, just as what got me, Even the idea of having ever bringing in a game, of course, being a gamer myself, you know, I I was born in 1978, so I grew up around arcades. We got a PC. I played, you know, role-playing games on the PC, played Civilization, which, of course, everyone, I I imagine anyone who listened to this podcast will know that. More Um, than likely. (laughs) And then then through that, also got me into paper and pencil role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons, Call of Cthulhu. And I think the first was actually Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness. Which, of course, goes back to comic books, right? So that's yeah, for sure, for sure. how it started. So I just, I, I had that, and I played Magic the Gathering. So, you know, it was just that basic understanding of mechanics. You can use cards, you can use dice to do to simulate things. And um, so there was just that. But then what kind of ignited that was, of course, when we got hit with uh, COVID. And, you know, as an educator, we have to figure out what do we do um, and how do we keep our students interested. And in our university... Um, we're in kind of a rural area. So we canceled that spring. Everyone went home. Students came back in the fall, but we had limited capacity in the rooms. So you could only have half the people come at once. And so what some people did was that they had said, okay, half the class comes in person. The other has, you know, class just zooms in. And But the problem is then you're trying to make it so... It, being in your room and being in a classroom are two different things. And you're making the same experience though for people in two different environments. So I remember talking to a student. I said, well, what is it you want? If you're only coming to class once a week, what do you want? And the student said, I want something that I can't do at home um, alone, right? So I was like, that makes a lot of sense. So what I did was I would divide my class in half, but half would watch prepared online lectures. They could do it whenever they wanted. And then the other half would come to class and we would do some sort of activity, some sort of simulation. Um, and the first one I designed was one where each student was a Viking and it basically was just, um, I basically took like the D20 fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons rules and stripped them down and gave each person like a card that I'm like, this is your Viking. Here's the things that are happening here. Make a skill check, skill check. Cause you got to find a monastery to go sack. Um, and then they had like fighting checks and things like that. And the students were really into it. And it also, I've discovered that our university could cheaply print cards.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I was like, oh, that opens up a lot of different things. So I could make decks of cards for people to randomize events. So a lot of it was was just trying to think, okay, if I've got my lectures online, what do I do in class that's interesting and that helps them uh, to review? And and just to give you an example, today we did my, can you survive the Qing dynasty? And it's like 19th century China. Um, and, you know, they have to, they, there's different dice. They roll in event cards to see if they can get enough food. And uh, there, there's like baby cards. If you draw a baby card, you have a baby because they had a, uh, the, the problem with the Ching was that their population kept going up, but they were basically at the end of what an agrarian um, empire could raise in terms of food. So I could simulate that, but then I also, I would give them like every turn they had a multiple choice question and if they could get it right, they got like a reputation counter, which could be used to buy food or something like that. So I could use that. To uh, kind of um, as a review exercise, but it's, it's it's meant to be more engaging, so that they're they're a part of it, they're paying attention more, and the students have really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's once I get the game designed, it's actually pretty easy for me to
0: prep for class. Right. So, what from your vantage point, you know, making these kinds of changes in your classroom, um, what are you seeing in terms of um, the experience of the students? So, I mean, you've clearly, I mean, they're clearly enjoying themselves, right? Do you find that um, you're able to cover a lot of the same content? Do you find that uh, the kids are absorbing, you know, some of the material?
1: So, um, so I'm just taking a couple notes. No, no, in, it's fine. In terms of um, it, it's it's difficult sometimes, of course, to to quantify. Um, I feel like they're getting the the um, test grades have generally been up since I switched to this style. Um, and I think there's a couple reasons. It's, it's just really easy to zone out during a review session if it's just me talking about things. Sure. Right. It's very easy for people not to pay attention. And I, I'm sure we, we've all had that experience as teachers. It, it's interesting. Students will often ask for group work, but don't want to actually do group work. Right. Right. They, they want to be able to do group work, but they mean by that is just not pay attention. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I found that it really helps with classroom engagement. Like they, they are doing stuff, they get to know each other. And that's very important in a college classroom because it's easy to be anonymous. It's easy just to come in, look at your phone, class starts, and then class is over and you leave. And I guess a lot of studies have shown that if, if you don't make any friends, if you don't get engaged in your classes, you're, you're gonna not succeed. And so I'm finding it, it, I guess a it gets them to come to class because they know the class isn't just gonna be me droning. They've already done, hopefully done the lecture, um, they're going to come to class. They're going to do stuff, and there's less issues with cell phones and 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 things like that because they're doing stuff and they're engaged with their friends. Um, the there's a lot of laughter, which is nice. Like uh, you know, there's all this silliness. They're like, oh no, we had another baby today. <laughs> it's like, you know, this, can, can we just abandon them? I'm like, no, no, no. This is uh, and they all decide to sell opium. They have this option. Do you want to sell opium or not? And they all get involved in the opium trade. They have a big laugh at that um, in the mechanics section. And on one side, it's like sometimes I wish they would take it a little bit more seriously. But on the other side, that laughter is, is good because, it, again, it keeps them engaged. It keeps them coming to class. History is fun. I think, on as you know, lots of people, or especially young people, are presenting more mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, over the last few years, that continues, it seems, to go up. And I think laughter does help with that. So, as an instructor, I'm happy because it—it it seems like they're getting the material more, attendance is better, there's fewer classroom issues, um, and they're having a good time. And I have really high, good course evaluations. They all say we like this. This is good stuff. Yeah, that's and I should. Show, but hear. one day, my dean wanted to drop by because uh, I was up for promotion. He wanted to write a letter, and he came on a game day, and he
0: turned out he really enjoyed the game. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Was, that's great to was, hear. Uh, Islamic trade simulator.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha. You know, it's funny, like, uh, I think the whole fun part of education often gets lost. So in terms of listening to your story, it's it's awesome to hear, wonderful to hear that uh, the the kids are really kind of enjoying learning because, uh, you know, if you can enjoy learning, it's like kind of, what, what's the point, right? Right. There has to be some level of enjoyment in there. And I think that in a lot of ways, games can kind of bring that out, you know, of the students, you know, versus like more traditional sort of, you know, lectures or things like that, you know. Right, right. Definitely. I often say to my kids, and it sounds like you say something similar, like, I I don't like to hear my own voice. So it's like, if I feel like if I'm talking for more than five to 10 minutes, there's probably something wrong with the lesson, you know.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think people can only pay attention for about 20 minutes or so and then their minds begin to wander. And I'm sure that that's getting lower and lower.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that that's true. I mean, you know, with the amount of, I guess you could say stimuli that kids have these days. Um, it is interesting that you know, the classroom does have to kind of change. And right. I, I've had similar similar moments where it's like, you know, different kinds of simulations, um, get the kids moving, get them laughing, and then get them to kind of engage with the material in a very different way than if they were just, you know, sitting down with like, a you know, taking notes on vocabulary or something along those lines.
1: Right. Well, and I think there's something also. There's just that excitement that I, I again. I, I we need to maybe talk to a psychologist about how this works, but they're so excited to draw that next card. Mm-hmm. They're so excited to to roll that next dice, and I think that that gets them in the right frame of mind to be paying attention, and and hopefully they kind of soak it in um, because we're talking about all these events, and they have to interact with them because they have to think, okay, what would I do as my character?
0: Right now. Do you run into any moments where there are kids that have never game before and this is the first time they're sort of doing it? And if so, like, what, what's that like? Sure. I, lots of times. Um, and it's funny because, you know,
1: I'll have people like, um, they'll, write, they'll say like, oh, I rolled a natural 20. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I know, what you, I know that you're familiar with this stuff. Um, and I, 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 you know, I had people say, oh, no, we had a TPK. Uh, because everyone died in one of their simulations. So like, okay, you're really experienced. But yeah, some people aren't. And so I, I don't think I ever really do these things as solo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always, typically I like groups of four,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but at the very least a group of two. And so I never really see, I've not, and that helps the people who aren't familiar with it. And I do, um, like, I, I always have a PowerPoint prepared. So if I use something like a four-sided dice or percentile dice, I, I do explain it to people. Mm-hmm. And usually what um, I'm trying to, I try as much as possible to make the games simple at the beginning of the semester and add complexity as time goes on. So that way they get used to things. So um, I'm trying to, it's, it's kind of halfway in my mind, but I'm, I'm developing what I call the Can You Survive series, where there's just different, can you survive the Industrial Revolution? Can you survive the Qing? Can you survive the Holodomor? And um, they all use similar mechanics with just a twist. So each one, the the basic resource is food. And um, they roll a certain number of six-sided dice. A four, five, or six is a success. A one, two, or three is a failure. And I give them like a little chart with like red fail, green uh, success, and they can move it around. And that makes things a little bit easier because they're not learning a whole bunch of stuff at once. And the first turn, I got to really walk around to each group and make sure that they know what they're doing. But usually by the second or third turn, they get it. And they eventually become veterans. So it's just things move a lot faster as time goes on. So for people who want to do this kind of thing in the classroom, I think the idea is you, you start simple and you add mechanics as things go on and you try and identify areas. And just when you explain the rules for the game, you say, okay, this is what this means. And that usually fixes things. Usually there'll be at least one person in the group who knows
0: how games work. Right. And, and I think you're touching on something that, often sort of gets lost on people that are trying to kind of get into the idea of, you know, using a simulation in a classroom. I think people like to gravitate towards really complicated rules and things that can go on forever. So it's very refreshing to hear the fact that you're sort of headed towards mechanics that are easy, like take a class period to kind of learn, because ultimately what is most important are the decisions that they have to make, right? Right, right. So I'm, I'm very much in that, in that camp as well. Even like, I don't know about you, but like, even personally, like the older that I get, I like simple games. I don't like, you know, like, cause I I grew up in the, I grew up kind of like in the, the miniature gaming world. And even, you know, like I knew you you mentioned magic earlier, um, which was also a game that I, because we're roughly the same age. So I, I was playing magic, you know, in the, in the mid nineties as well. And I don't know, there's just something about getting older and just I, I want my rules on one page, you know, <laughs> and I want my game done in like two hours, you know, right, you know right, versus yeah. some of those versus some of those older games where it's like you're pouring over like, you know, World War II data about what kind of <laughs> tank you have. And I don't know, Um, just something, just something to think about. So it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, it mm-hmm. sounds a little like you're really diving pretty deep into this like it sounds like you're gamifying a lot of elements of of not just one course but a few of them yeah almost every
1: course um the public history ones not as much because of the there's some technical things I have to teach in there um, but they're what they're doing they're like designing museum exhibits and things like that so I don't feel like I, I need to do as much of that the comics class um I don't because they're we're we're watching animation and stuff. Right, right, right. But yeah, for most, I would say for about two thirds of my classes, um, I have this kind of element because the students seem to like it. Um, And I experimented. So I started off with my 100 level classes. Mm -hmm. And this semester I started doing one, I'm teaching modern China. Mm -hmm. And this semester I try to do one that's more of a role-playing game, but also with some resource management where they play a uh, character from Chinese history that they design and um they have to res- they're part of lineage association so that's how mm. they, i have their groups and so we're kind of running through that and i'm very happy with the results so i plan on continuing that my upper
0: other upper level history classes where i can very cool and and backing up for a sec the comic book class that you teach sounds really interesting so can you um even though i know you're saying that like you don't have a a ton of ton of gamification in there what's the, what what exactly do you guys do in that course
1: so it's a it is a history class so um Basically, I call it the name. It's it's meant to compare anime, animation, cartoons, or I'm sorry, comic books, graphic novels, and manga. So Mm -hmm. basically, um, trying to think out, I'm trying to remember how I explain it when I teach it. Mm -hmm. I tell students, you know, there's a comparative element. We're trying to understand how these different um, art forms develop in Japan and the United States, and also how they interact with each other and influence and impact each other. Mm -hmm. Right? Because so there's a lot of back and forth between them, the styles influence each other. But, and also one element we, I tell them we're, we're focusing on the people who created them, the objects themselves, but also what made it so that they could be produced as elements of popular culture. In other words, what made them work in terms of business? Sure. So we try, I try and include that financial element um, as well. And um, so that's, that's pretty much so a typical you know, they would watch a video lecture where I would talk about, yeah, this is this technological advantage uh, development allowed this to happen, which allowed Mm -hmm. this kind of cartoon to be made at this profitable level, something like that. And then, um, they would have to read like, uh, we, of course we read the Watchmen. um, Oh, and, uh, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and those are the kind of two major representatives we read. And then there's excerpts of some of the various golden age and silver age and and other, some, um, comics like that. And then we meet in class, we discuss them. And, um, then we would do some viewings of some shorter materials and talk about what's going on there. So, like, you know, we watch uh, excerpts from Snow White, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, what was fun, though, and if we're just thinking about being, uh, you know, I, I don't know this quite matches what we're talking about, but what mm-hmm. I would do for the essays is they had to do mashups mm-hmm. to show that they understood. So, for example, they would have to rewrite um, a chapter of Watchmen with Snow White in it. Oh, wow, and, that's uh, really cool. They, the students just blew my, my mind they came up with so many cool ideas um and I just saw one character had snow White become black
0: eyes <laughs> right and it was just it was so cool well you know it's funny I mean it, it's just interesting like going backwards you know you were talking about how you know you're not doing a ton of gaming in that class but this sounds like role-playing like well,
2: right okay. you know yeah, what I yeah. mean
1: you're right you're right and um and it was I was really impressed at how the students got into it. Like I never had read such good essays before. Yeah, in my time. So I was very happy with that. And I guess that goes, you know, the more we can try and get people. I think sometimes people, like I say, we if we try and answer too objective of a way, like it's kind of boring. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, it and does. The students make complete really sense. liked it when they could really put their own creativity into it, and that, and that forced them though they still had to learn the history. Like they had to really understand Watchmen, and right. the student who came up with Black eyes understood it really well.
0: Right, right, right. And figure no. out how to
1: make her into a
0: Watchmen style hero slash vigilante villain. So, how much of the Watchmen did you get into? I mean, did you, you read the original graphic novel or the, right, yeah. the film? Oh, okay, gotcha. Did you? Yeah, we just you... focused on the original uh, gotcha. graphic novel. Because HBO just put out, I don't think they're doing another season, but they had just put out that whole, um, you know, I guess, almost like the series after, you know, right, the movie, right. and, which was pretty good. I, I definitely enjoyed it. I, re, I recently watched it, so. Yeah. So
1: the way I, I talked to, the, I told the students, I said, we're stopping in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> right, gotcha. So the, the problem I, I, I like, ha- and this is what I struggle with in that class is that I would like to split it almost mm-hmm. um, and have the Japanese stuff in one class and the Western stuff in another class, but then I lose the comparative aspect. But the problem right. now is I just can't go into all the different things because it would make sense. So, what I tell them is, I stop in two thousand. It's actually two thousand one with um, *Spirited Away*. Okay, that's kind of what I use because it's, you know, it's a. It wins awards in the West. It's clearly been inspired
0: by Disney, but it's Japanese. I say this is, in a sense, this is what our class is building to. Yeah, you know what's funny? I have a funny. If if I'm remembering *Spirited Away*, *Spirited Away* is a bizarre. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Okay. So we were coming home. I don't remember what year it was, but it was recent, like within the last 5 years, definitely before COVID, and we were coming home from a like trip, I think with the 7th grade, and somehow on the bus, I don't remember who put it on, but spirited away came on and you know, there was nothing necessarily inappropriate about it, but it was out there. And I yeah. just remember it was like dead quiet on this bus. Oh, really? The kids were. Oh, yeah. The kids were enthralled, and oh, I that's just remember wonderful. looking back and thinking, like, I, I feel like we're all on acid or something. Like that's because <laughs> it was just so surreal.
1: Right. So. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I begin with the class. I don't know how much you remember, but where, there's the giant. There's this stink spirit that comes. Yeah. And needs to take a bath, right? And so we watch that to to kind of talk about because it shows Japanese values. But yeah, right. it's it's this wonderful surreal. Uh, movie that, that really captures this kind of shinto animistic uh, yeah.
0: worldview no totally so so here's here's the kind of like a million dollar question so do it like if you could figure out a way to get a more traditional game into that comic book class what direction could you see yourself going in if you could get it in and I know that's a tough question. I'm totally putting you on the spot.
1: So no, there's there's kind of two directions because I'm teaching a popular culture in East Asia class in the fall. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm still kind of working out the nuts and bolts and I want to talk to my class, my modern China class to get their feedback on how they think the game has gone. Um, but I was thinking of having them be like a production company. Oh, cool. So each person is um, like someone who is a, like a manga artist or like a, a, a K-pop star. And yet they're in the same company. And mm-hmm. they have to figure out, okay, what are we going to produce? Um, and then they would also have to interact with the materials we're watching in class and say, okay, would you produce this? How would you mm-hmm. produce it? Um, so that's kind of a very vague way, but I could do that easily with comics. Like, okay, you're, you're, you're an animation studio. Mm-hmm. What are you going to produce? And there's a, oh, oh goodness. I'm k- going to kick myself because I can't remember the name, but Steam had a um, like game, video game development simulator or something mm-hmm. like that where you had to run a video game company. And they had figured out this kind of algorithm where you had to decide like what characteristics your game would have to pan the air, and that would tell how the sales went. Oh, wow. And um, I would love to try and do something like that. So, I mean, just just a pure fantasy, that would be neat. Where yeah, yeah. To, okay, it's the 1950s. What kind of comics are you going to make for your company and see how well that goes? So that would be one possibility, right? Is to, you're a production company or something like that. Um, especially if it's focusing on the West. I mean, mutants and masterminds. Like do a um a role play. I, I play that with with some some college friends i are you mm-hmm. familiar oh, yeah no
0: no oh, I, the the name sound the name definitely uh rings a bell, but I don't know a lot about it so uh go for it.
1: It's a very crunchy um rule system for superheroes mm-hmm and, um, it basically it's, it's, I struggle with it cause I'm not that great at math, but my friend who runs it is a psychologist who teaches stats. Who okay. Stats. So he, <laughs> it's he, a good combination. It, and it's a, it's a mathematically beautiful system that lets you create pretty much any superhero you would want and yet still have them relatively balanced, mm-hmm. which is, is hard to do. Um, but basically students will be superheroes. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's really, <laughs> that would, that would uh, be the fun thing
1: and to help integrate them into the comic world. Right. This is how this kind of ca- comic thinking da- works. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a
0: game called Sentinels of the Multiverse, by any chance? I've heard of it, but don't don't have much familiarity with yeah, it. Yeah, that that rings a bell. That might be that might be interesting for your students. So, um, you know, selfishly, I love <laughs> game. I mean, you know, that's why I'm I'm kind of talking about it because of how much enjoyment I've had with it. Um, so, long story short. It's a little bit of what you're describing, not so much creating a comic book mm-hmm. character but it's more like, you know, you know the basic set has x amount of different kinds of superheroes and it's a card game like where oh, okay you have um you know a deck of like 30 or 35 cards and it's completely collaborative which I love. There's an AI system for fighting the villain. So it's okay. almost like you get together like four or five people, each person takes, you know, on the role of one of these comic book characters And just imagine sitting around the table and the villain deck. So the villain has like a 30 or 35 card deck and that sits in the middle of the table. And there is an environment which you're fighting the villain in. And essentially it's one of those games, the little like magic in the sense that you don't really need a big rule book. Mm. All the rules are basically on the cards. And I will say like, it's interesting for students because the amount of synergy that can happen between your cards and the villain's card and all of your teammates' cards. It's a lot of reading, but in a good way. You okay. Know, if that makes sense. Because it's almost like you have to kind of keep track of what's doing damage. Um, you know, what uh effects are being triggered, you know, what's the environment doing? Where is the villain? You know, so it's a lot of a lot of stuff to keep track of, but in a good way. You know, and I find that students, um, it kind of fires off the same I don't know, receptors in the brain that, like, a good assignment would, you know, in right. class. So, um, I'll have to look at that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's interesting. There are so many comic book games out there now. Like, right. I know that Marvel um, has a bunch of different miniatures games and, you know, card games, and so does DC. So, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of really good stuff out there. So, do you find your students are familiar with, like, the Marvel world because of all the movies? Yeah, yeah,
1: it's funny because, so... um I taught two sections of the the comics class. So one was the regular section and one was the honor section. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting how they were very different. So the honor section, they actually were more used to manga. So they got confused by Western comics. Mm -hmm. Um, Like they were like, I didn't realize it takes so long to read a comic because they're reading Watchmen, which is very different from a manga where there's very little writing a lot of the time. Um, The regular section. Oh, wow. Do they know everything about Marvel? And they assumed because I taught the class that I knew everything about Marvel. <laughs> it's like I'm more of a Disney person, old yeah, Disney gotcha, stuff. Gotcha. Um, so uh, it was interesting. So people would bring in stuff and, and some would write like extra pages to their assignment talking about the Marvel Universe or the Watchmen Universe. Mm-hmm. So it, it was cool. Yeah. But they had a lot of familiarity and you're right. A lot of that's where they were coming from
0: was not a familiarity necessarily with the comics, but with the movies. Gotcha. So, in terms of source material for that class, like how do you get the kid comics? Like, is it is it the sort of thing like where you're bringing them in, like for the kids to look at, or is it so, the sort yeah, of some thing of it, you can get it would just be like
1: an old? Yeah, some it's online. You can find sometimes people will read comics mm-hmm. uh, on YouTube. So, like um, initially, I had trouble getting the original Captain America issue number one mm-hmm. in a format I could show, and I had them watch one that was being read. And what was great was it was Captain America read by a Brit.
0: Oh, that's so funny. And
1: So that was fun. Um, but usually um, some you can find online. So, for example, one comic that I would assign is called, um, it's called All Negro Comics. And it was mm-hmm. the first comic um, that was published by a black company. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it only has one issue and right. we don't have the whole issue. It's just fragments. So it's, it's very sad. Um, but right. I wanted students to be able to read that. And so I just put together the, the fragments into a PDF. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times, you know, with the older comics, I think it falls within fair use to be able to, to share them um, in that format.
0: Um, but they had to purchase Watchmen and Akira. Gotcha. So going more into the personal, right? So mm-hmm. we've heard a lot about like the different kinds of, you know, games you're bringing into, into your classroom for your students. What about in terms of your own hobby? Like, I mean, are you kind of gaming with people online or gaming with friends um, outside of the classroom as well?
1: So it's funny because of course I'm, I'm married. I have two children, and my kids have no interest in these kinds of games. And that mm-hmm. was my hope was that they would want to play. And I tried to get them to play, and right. they weren't too interested. And I mean, that's they'll sometimes play test for me. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so it, my um my wife is Filipino, mm-hmm. and so one of my simulations is of the um it's can you survive the Japanese occupation of the Philippines? Mm-hmm. I need a better title. Um, mm-hmm. but her her grandfather was a uh, was a guerrilla. Mm -hmm. um and so they they take on that role my kids were really happy to play that one because they're interested in in thinking about what it means to be uh biracially part filipino sure um and so they they interacted with that um so i do occasionally like i i i have to admit i do play some marvel snap um i don't even know what that is oh okay i got you. it's it's, (laughs) go for it it's a um it's just an online card game oh marvel universe um it's it's just designed it's a game that you can pick up and play for five minutes and put back down Oh, okay. So it's gotcha. like, okay, I need a break. I've been working for a couple hours. I want to play a couple games and then five, 10 minutes, you're done. Ready to get back to work. Um, right. and it's in the Marvel universe. So it's fun. How, how does it work? Um, it's a, it's a, a collectible card game, right? So you, you play, mm-hmm. you get cards, you build your deck, but there's three locations you fight over mm-hmm. and whoever like gets the most power. But what they did that makes it a little bit different is if you're, um, you can gamble, mm-hmm. not, not for money, but basically if you win, you get, two cubes if you lose you lose two cubes but you can retreat and you only lose one cube or you can snap but i think it's a reference to thanos snapping sure and you double the wager so it adds a nice thing because if you're losing you're not going to lose you can cut your losses Mm -hmm. um and so that that's kind of how that works so it's it's a fun game there's some interesting synergies um and uh Sorry. The uh, the major game I play is um, I play with a group of friends of mine from college. We play online. Mm-hmm. Um, one guy runs uh, Mutes and Masterminds. I sometimes run Call of Cthulhu. But for the most part, anything I do gaming connects back to class. So when I'm, I'm running Call of Cthulhu, I'm running um, a revised version of what's called Regiment of Dread, mm-hmm. which is a um, scenario in which a man uh, basically makes a deal with an evil entity to relive the moment from civ- the Civil War where he was a coward okay and he wants to relive it to be a to, to be a brave man which mm-hmm. but of course all these terrible things happen because he wants to do that right. um, and but it's it's meant to get you to think about how history works and about this desire to change history um, but i'll run that for my class my gaming class so I, I play test it with my friends to get ready to run it for the class but mostly anything i do with gaming is with the idea that i can bring it into the classroom so gotcha. I, I wish i could do more recreational gaming um just uh, family circumstances and just the busyness of uh, as you know as a teacher it's, it's hard to do something that can't somehow connect back.
0: No, absolutely. And I look, I also think too, that you know, teachers that are practiced and, and good at what they do. I mean, I hope I'm not projecting too much, but it's hard to not think about the classroom. It, it's, it's hard to, right, right. to not bring, you know, you know, things from outside inside, if that makes sense. Um, and like I said, m- most really effective and really good teachers I know kind of do that. So it can be de- definitely difficult to separate. And I identify a lot with that because I've only very recently, I would say, within the last couple of years, like have started getting back into kind of doing more games for leisure. Because like what I found was when oh, you, know, you know what I mean, like with the start of um, right. next gen, um, mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of started you know, putting a little bit more of my energy uh, into doing that. Not to say that I'm not running miniatures games and things in the classroom still, I still do that here and there, obviously, but like, a lot of it is now kind of pushed towards next gen. And I think that in a really weird way, even though, you know, it's nonprofit work, and even though I'm still sort of giving back, what I'm finding is like, having to play test and do you know things along those lines a lot of times it's coming out of the classroom and going back to like you know the gaming group and stuff like that at least when it comes right. to miniatures but i've always kind of done you know i know you 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 mentioned role playing i mean that's definitely something that i've kind of always done you know all going all the way back to the to the mid 90s so um i love cthulhu by the way oh, never <laughs> i've never run it though i've never run okay. run it before but i um but i you know I'm a huge Lovecraft guy, like just in terms of reading and stuff like that. So,
1: what is it just about? A,
0: a quick, yeah, go for it.
1: Well, I was going to say just as a quick aside, I sometimes teach uh, religions of the world, mm-hmm. and uh, one thing I think is problem—problem I, 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 is too strong of a word—but um, I want to include atheism mm-hmm. um, when I teach it. And so, I the way I do it is I actually include um, Lovecraft mm-hmm. to talk about that because of his understanding of of, of 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 what can I say of of how the world works, and so I include. I have them, um, what was it? Oh goodness. It's been forever. But yeah, we, we would look at some of his writings to get a sense of what an atheist worldview might, might be like. Cause and we, we also look at Sartre mm-hmm. and that, and I bring in Watchmen
0: there. Yeah. No, because of
1: right. With his, um, yeah, he's an existentialist basically.
0: Mm-hmm. No, no totally. I'm sorry. Go on with your. I, no, I no, no, no. That's a, that's a great aside. <laughs> so, um, Sprank, he's like, like what, in what terms was I, of what, say it again?
1: Oh, no, I thought you were asking about Call of
0: Cthulhu. Oh, no, no, no. It was just amusing, really. Like, you know, it was just just something I was sort of thinking about. Um, Oh, please. But uh, it's a really it's a really fun world, you know, as kind of creepy as that sounds. (laughs) Just because, like, you know, you were saying earlier, like, you know, sometimes it's funny, like, you know, when you you know, play certain kinds of genres of games and they're just so unbelievably depressing or like you're teaching certain subject matter that's unbelievably right. depressing because, I mean, ultimately Cthulhu, you know, it always ends poorly, you know, yeah. in some way, shape or form. Yeah, it's um, a game
1: where you get weaker as time goes on. Not yeah, stronger. for
0: sure. Yeah, no, for <laughs> sure. For sure. Um, so just in terms of, you know, sort of moving forward, um... So where do you sort of see yourself going with, um, you know, gamified learning and things like that? Like, do you have any goals beyond like where you're at now? Or is it more like you kind of want to keep doing what you're doing, if that makes sense?
1: For the 100-level courses, I feel um, pretty strong. Like, I don't necessarily want to make a lot of changes or differences. Those are kind of set. People seem to be happy with it. I'm trying to figure out how to bring it up into my upper-level classes. Mm -hmm. So like, I was experimenting with this in my Modern China class. I was really happy with it. I'll see how it goes with my modern Korea class. I'll teach in the fall, and also with. Um, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, no, I'll teach that in the fall. And what was the other um, with the popular culture class? We'll see how that goes. Um, so I'm still experimenting with it at the upper level. I feel mm-hmm. good about the lower level classes. Um, we're trying. I'm trying to do more. Was it scholarship of teaching and learning? Mm-hmm. I'd like to try and you know publish some academic uh, papers on this as I learn more. And I'm still trying to get enough experience my goal would be to eventually kind of come up with a systematized way to help people make their own. Um, and that's why I was thinking about the can you survive series because it's really, um, and that's what I'm doing in this class. I'm teaching on games is the students have to make a simulation and um, I'm trying to think of ways to make it. So it's just like, here's the mechanics. All you need to do is change the skin and then here's some sample ones you can use. And that's what I would really like to be able to do is publish like a system and some examples um, that can be something that's that's just really
0: practical that people can easily bring in. Yeah, no, that's um, super that's super exciting. Cause th- I mean, there's only really a few different titles out there that kind of do that. So that's definitely a market, you know, kind of ripe for the taking, so to speak. Um, so it's kind of exciting that, you know, that that that's a world you're sort of headed into. And in a way, like you kind of you kind of touched on one of the last questions I really wanted to ask you because again, you know, we've known each other for a few years now. Um, you know, if you were going to give advice to a teacher that asked you specifically, like, what, what is it that, you know, you're sort of doing in the classroom in terms of games? And if I were going to do that, how would I do it? What would be the first steps that you would kind of advise somebody to take?
1: Um, well, just as a a quick thing, just because this goes into what we were just talking about was that, a lot of my advisees are second or all my advisees are people studying to be teachers. Mm -hmm. So what I've been having fun doing is like, I would give them my stuff. Um, Like I would give them the cards and the PowerPoint file and all that and, and let them go teach it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they, 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 I did that once and the person improved my game. (laughs) <laughs> so I was very happy. I, I made it too complex. And he was like, he figured, you know, he teaches, as he told me, like he wanted to do something outside, but he was afraid his students would run away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he loves his students, but, you know, you, you, some schools are going to have more of that. No, uh, for sure. And so he he simplified things and he really improved them. So, I mean, if it, I, so in response, if it was someone who like physically came in my office, I would pull out some cards and some dice and say, here you go. Here, here it is. Go run what I already built and get a sense of just how it works. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you can build your own. Um, if someone wants to do something from scratch, again, it's it's nice to say, you know, try and look at what's already out there and think about how you can replace, uh, you know, how can you reskin it? Um, so, you know, I do um, a Siege of 96 simulation, but it's basically just people rolling dice at each other with different events that impact how they roll dice. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. see, all you have to do is change the PowerPoint picture and the description a little bit. And and you've got a different now you've got the siege of Petersburg or the siege of Verdun, or something like that. So a lot of that I would I guess I would try and ask them some questions about what are you trying to do. Um, So I mentioned Islamic trade uh, simulator that was what I call movement where you're going from one place to another. So you have rules about that. Are you trying to do a battle? And so I guess I guess my first question then would be, well I guess there's two. What is the topic? And what do you want students to get out of it? Because that shapes the mechanics. Because right. I don't think you can, I think our instinct, like you said earlier, we want to make things too complex. We want to push in all this stuff and they're not going to get it. It's just going to overwhelm them. So um, my World War One simulation, it's not fun being a World War I infantryman. That's the <laughs> lesson of that. Right. And so all the mechanics are based around, wow, it is not fun <laughs> right. to, to be the simulate to do this. The Haldamore simulator, you're supposed to run out of food and someone's supposed to die. Um, and so the mechanics are built around what I want students to get out of it. So you think, what's my topic? What do I want students to get out of the topic? Once you get that clear image, it's really easy to think of the mechanics right. of what you want
0: to do. And um,
1: I, I think I better stop there. I, I Otherwise, no, that's too, a great answer.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's a great answer. You never can really go too far on this on this podcast. Right, okay. um, no, because I mean, I, I think that, you know, the way that this is done in a long form style um, I think you know people are gonna want to hear these kinds of answers. Okay. So I, 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 I'm happy that you're kind of going in depth because really, what you're talking about from a teaching perspective, it's like really backwards planning in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, right? Like, what is my sort of end goal, and how am I gonna sort of get there? Like, you know, right. kind of going backwards, you know? Well, and again, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, and it's also just important that the first one I think has to be a topic you
1: care about, mm-hmm. um, because you're gonna spend, a especially the first time you do it. Good lord, it takes many hours. Yeah. Like even just going on to like I I like to use uh, Wikimedia Commons to make sure I'm using like public domain stuff, mm-hmm. um, and it takes a while just to find the images, and that's very important I think. Like when you have event cards, you don't just want a blank card; there needs to be a picture on there uh, that captures uh, what you want to 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 do. What you because I think a lot of the point of a simulation is to immerse people in a particular atmosphere. If right. you play a World War One simulation and you don't feel dirty, and I I, I mean wow. dirty is in like mud right um, then that wasn't the simulation was problematic right right Right? it should have that atmosphere but to do that takes a long time like it's amazing the amount of time it takes to build these things once they're built they're wonderful because it's really easy just to pick it up and run with it the next year um or the next time you you teach the lesson but right i think that's a big thing you got to pick something you really like because you're gonna be spending a while on it And like the CG-96, I'm
0: still playing around with it to make it where I want it to be. Right. You know, also, too, thinking about teaching pedagogy, it also sounds like in terms of the way you sort of run your classroom, a lot of it is very flipped, you know, where they're getting, granted, like, I know a lot of history classes are flipped anyway. Like, I feel like our sort of, you know, discipline has always kind of been flipped in terms of like, go home and read and then come back in with what you've learned. But it seems like you're very deliberate about it like maybe more deliberate than somebody else like if you're creating you know all of these different um you know to at home and then they can kind of come in and do the fun stuff which is all of these different simulations
1: right yeah that, that's that's what i'm going for and thinking back to something you said a little earlier just about like the the experience of it um and just we also talked about the difficulty of, of helping, like you said, to help new students. How do you help people who aren't familiar with gaming is I try and use counters and markers a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use boards so we can like the our print shop can print out like a 12 by 18 board. So, so I, I initially just had them write down things like write down you have five food, write down you have four water or something like that. And I started making like water counters and food mm-hmm. counters and th- things just got a lot easier for the students to grasp. Mm-hmm. But then that also goes to the, to setting the atmosphere uh, as well, because then you can, um, like I was going to, I was going to show you, but of course this is a podcast, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I have the board, like I'll have like a, an image that is meant to, to really capture that. Yeah. And it's like, some... I give them a, a card, like in World War One, I, I give them a card and then I've got my, um, I've got my, st- my uh, skull stamp. So when they die, I go stamp their
0: card right to, to show, okay, well, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're making everything so physically tangible for the kids. You know, that's what it, again, like just listening to you sort of describe it. it, it You're right. Like you're really setting a, a sort of nice atmosphere. It almost reminds me a little bit of how just playing D and D or something <clears throat> along those lines, like how much more immersive things can be when you're yes, you're using your imagination, but being able to see a physical board and being able to see your miniature, that can go a long way. Right. You know? So, um, I often say to guests, I feel like we could probably talk for another hour. easily, sure. Like just in terms of all these different topics, but I know that, um, we probably have to have to wrap up. I, I have to say like, uh, this was uh really rewarding to have you on Frank, just because oh, I know that I know that people that are listening, that are teachers, it has nothing to do with me. It's like, they're going to kind of get to hear all these different experiences that you've had. And they can kind of use that to kind of help themselves teach. So I really appreciate, you know, the fact that you would be willing to give up your time to kind of come in and help people out. Because that's really what what a lot of this podcast is about. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, it's an honor to be here, to get it's always a joy to talk to you. Always fun. And by the way, like, if I'm just curious, like if somebody wanted to reach out to you, um, if somebody wanted advice, like they listen to this podcast, um, how what would be the easiest way for somebody to reach out to you?
1: Yeah, just send me an email. Okay. Uh, you want me to give it to you? or You'll put it. Yeah, in the no,
0: sure. Yeah. I mean, I could I could always put it in the in the descriptor. But if you want to kind of read it out, uh, go for it.
1: Sure. It's F uh, Frank and then Roush, uh, rausch R A U S C H at
0: lander dot edu. Awesome. Well, again, Frank, you're going to definitely come on again. So, um, you know, this was a lot of fun and I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Frank. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org My Instagram handle is hmgs underscore nextgen underscore inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.